the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, the Finance Coast and Mohamed Nalla. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. In addition to our weekly free show that you know and love, we have now launched Magic Markets Premium, a weekly show for our subscribers in which we give detailed analysis on global stocks. Every premium show is accompanied by a report covering the company's strategic drivers, its operating environment, its competitors, bull versus bear case, technical trading indicators, and a long-term investment thesis. At just 99 Rand per month, we are committed to making institutional-level analysis affordable for all investors and traders. Visit magic-markets.com to go premium and unlock your full potential in the markets. This podcast is brought to you by Anbro Capital Investments. Invest in the future, invest in growth. Visit investinunicorns.com to learn more. The Unicorn Portfolio is managed by Anbro Capital Investments, an authorized financial services provider. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor. Welcome to episode 71 of Magic Markets. And as always, we have a really interesting guest on the show this week, and that is Craig Antoni of Anbro Capital Investments. You've heard from Craig several times before on Magic Markets. He's involved in a really cool offshore investment management business, and we're going to learn a whole lot more about that tonight and chat to him about some of the growth stocks in his portfolio. But first, let me welcome Mo. Another week of Ramadan, Mo. I hope you are coping. Yeah, all good, Ghost. All good, still surviving Ramadan. And just excited to welcome Craig back. I'll, I'll tell you why. So again, for, for long-time listeners of the show, Craig's a familiar voice. You know, he's a, he's a friend of the show of Magic Markets. We love tapping Craig's brain for some interesting ideas. Uh, but this time around, there's something different. You know, I, I wanted Craig on the show because I think it's time to congratulate Craig and the Anbro team because there's something that's very important. Craig's not going to tell you this, so that's why I'm telling you this, is that the Anbro team have just won the 2022 Salter Awards for the best performance for a foreign equity actively managed ETN. Uh, so for those of you not familiar with SALTA, it's the South African Listed Tracker Fund Awards. It's pretty high profile stuff. You're going up against big names here. So I want to say congratulations to Craig as we welcome him onto the show. And they went up, I think, against eight other funds in this particular category. Craig, congratulations. Welcome back to Magic Markets. Well, thanks. Good evening, Mo. Good evening, Ghost. Thanks so much for, for having me again. And, and thanks very much for the congratulations and the well wishes. Yes, it's been a long road. You know, I mean, Justin and I started Anbro in sort of 2014. You know, so it's been seven years in the making, lots of grinding and lots of hard work. And I mean, we're just so happy that, you know, we've we've won the award and, you know, it gives us a little bit of exposure and maybe a little bit of vindication, you know, just that, you know, everything's been, everything we've been working toward for the last seven odd years has actually been worth something. And, you know, and we've made a little dent in the world out there and we've hopefully helped a lot of people and investors, you know, that have joined us along the way. So no, very happy and very grateful. Thank you guys. Craig, the bigger question is whether you slapped anyone at the award ceremony or is that uh, <laughs> is not that kind of. No, no, we, we're way more chill than that. And uh, we don't take things too personally. Craig, oftentimes people see the award, and that's the tip of the iceberg. They don't really see the journey that you've gone through to actually build a business from scratch. So I think maybe to kick off, you said you started this in 2014. I know the history because I'd worked with you and Justin a long time ago at one of the investment banks down in South Africa. Certainly, Mo, and it, you know, it was 
quite a quite a decision to take at the time. I'd had a few clients that I'd been looking after for for many many years, and they kept saying to me, you know, Craig, don't you want to go and do something on your own? And, and I said, well, maybe one day in the future, but I was still busy refining my investment style and my investment strategy. And then, yes, Justin and I eventually decided that we were going to, you know, take the plunge in 2014 and, and off we went. And, um, you know, we, we first, when we sat down, we thought there's a couple of things we really want to do here at Amber. The first is just help the general man in the street, you know, to, to save and, and hopefully get a better future and a better retirement one day. Although our roots came with a lot of high net worth clients and high net worth individuals, what we often found was, you know, those are the sorts of people that always get the best advice and the best service and the best fees and all that kind of thing. What about normal Joe Soap like me, you know, who's out there and trying to make a difference and, and doesn't necessarily get access to all that um, sort of top quality information or whatever the case may be. So that's where we started. That was the first thing. And then the other thing we thought was let's do something a little bit different. You know, we didn't want to do the same that everyone else had done or everyone else is doing. And we looked at ways and we still do look for ways, you know, to offer clients products or portfolios that are perhaps a little bit differentiated from from the broader market. And that's really how the Unicorn Portfolio was born. You know, it was a, a part of our long-term diversified offshore portfolio but we noticed that there was a certain component of this portfolio that really did outperform the rest of the portfolio and the broader markets as a whole and so we decided you know let's hone in on that piece and you know see if there's something we can we can make out of that and and that's where really the unicorn portfolio was born. Yeah, it's a classic example of growing from a niche. I mean, we just did Lululemon on uh, Magic Markets Premium. So, Craig, I think the unicorn portfolio is effectively your version of their yoga pants. It's something different. It's something uh, something that you've done that stands out in the market. And then it's a wonderful way to actually start. And I think when you leave a corporate role, this is not a how to start a business podcast, but all three of us on this call are actually entrepreneurs. And I think a lot of our listeners are as well. If you're going to leave a corporate and go and start something, you've got to find a niche and you've got to find something that you can do better than the big players, because otherwise you're dead in the water. You definitely can't just walk away and go and do exactly what they do, because then you, how are you going to compete with that? Yeah, no, you know, exactly. It's got to be different. I think one of the benefits you have when you start a business, say today or in these times versus maybe 20 or 30 years ago, like a lot of the big corporates have, is you, know, you also get to take advantage of new technologies and new systems, and you know that helps your business be a lot more nimble, a lot more efficient. Yeah, Craig, I mean, your point on being nimble on new technology, I mean, Ghost and I basically have started Magic Markets as a business, being on opposite ends of the world using modern day technology. So I think that's just really phenomenal as an example of the power of disruption. And that power of disruption comes through in terms of, you know, even some of the businesses that you invest in. A unicorn, I was just looking at it before we hopped on this podcast. And I think your compound annual growth rate since your inception is in the region of around 21%. And that's pretty impressive. Now, it's, it has gone all over the show because we know that a lot of these counters have been particularly volatile. I think we spoke to you about that about a month ago. Before I even move off that, for investors looking at Unicorn specifically, you mentioned something about making it accessible to the man in the street. How do they see that stock code? Do they buy it through their broker? You know, we started off by listing the portfolio on the JSC via the exchange traded note. Just based, I think, on our own experience and our sort of past lives and history, you know, we are more DIY type investors, which I think probably applies to a lot of the, the people that subscribe and listen to 
to magic markets. So, you know, we like to get into the weeds. We like to look at the companies. That I think was where we started out, and and I think that's where we find most of re- most of the retail investors get access to to the portfolio and to the ETNs. As you said, Mo, it's UAV CPA. That's the share code. However, what we found over time is that you know there was also an in- some institutional interest in the portfolio, and you know whether that come in the form of you know fund of fund investors or you know discretionary fund managers or you know financial advisors and the problem they had is they wouldn't go right into the into the market and onto the JSE to buy the specific stock you know they wanted a unit trust so to try and you know help with that you know we then launched the unit trust as well so yeah, that we did with um, BCI and now we have the you know the Amber Unicorn BCR Global Growth Fund, um, which is also you know listed on a couple of the the big platforms out there. Um, you know we've tried to cater for everyone, and um, yeah, at this stage the portfolios are available in South Africa only. Um, you know for clients investing offshore, we do that via a segregated portfolio, and we actually go and buy the underlying stock in client portfolios for them. So, Craig, let's talk about those portfolios a bit. And I think, Mo, you alluded to a really great point earlier, actually, which is that you and I have started a business on opposite ends of the world. The reality is that 10 years ago, certainly, but even five years ago, we would not have been able to start this business at anything close to the kind of cost, i.e. low cost, that we've now managed to do it. And that lets us be disruptors. At the end of the day, this stuff is actually powering the disruptors. And, Craig, I think disruptors is exactly what you invest in. And it's all these trends people forget how much the world has changed in just the last five years they forget that the first iphone came out what 15 years ago now that's it the smartphone is 15 years old as we know it and yet our lives revolve around it completely it's quite incredible and something i've noticed on twitter is everyone's gone very quiet now about growth you know growth was absolutely all the rage last year when it was flying It's had a tough few months and then suddenly everyone disappears. This is human nature. It happens in every market cycle. The same thing happens to value investors. Now value is kind of in vogue at the moment. Uh, For years it was hated. You know, people laughed at you if that's what you were doing. So it's all about the market cycles and it's about being on this wealth creation journey and knowing when things look a bit frothy and obviously when they look really interesting. And for you, you're always in the growth world. So you're trying to balance this portfolio. I mean, you've got that kind of universe of stuff to choose from. And our listeners have heard from you before around some of the things you look at, you know, founder-led businesses and all that kind of stuff. And there's there's some good stuff in the podcast library to go and listen to, and we won't rehash all of it now. But yeah, I can, I can imagine it's been a, a somewhat interesting few months for you because obviously now growth is a little bit out of vogue, but at the same time, it's actually a great opportunity to load up on the stuff you want to be owning, you know, that is coming to valuation ranges that you think are attractive. And that's really where investing becomes an art and requires you to look through the cycle. The one comment I'll make on that is that, yes, it's been a brutal quarter, you know, for growth stock investors or growth investors. You know, we've seen the the value of our portfolio come down considerably from its all-time high and even from, you know, where it ended the end of last year. And, Obviously, as an uh, as an investor, as a fund manager, and, and I say that with both hats because we you know I am invested in this portfolio myself. So you know I ride the same the same journey that all our sort of fellow investors and, and customers ride in this portfolio, and I feel the same pain and I have the same joy and exuberance, you know, when the markets are rallying. 
But um, the important thing I think to realize is, as you alluded to, Ghost, is that there are market cycles and market cycles are pretty much, they you know, they ebb and flow depending on what's happening in the world at a specific point in time. And yes, you know, towards a peak COVID, everyone was, you know, really in love with growth stocks. I think they, they probably thought that the growth rates we're seeing, you know, were likely to stay around longer than they did and they bid them up. And obviously with, you know, the, the benefit of hindsight, that was quite absurd. And, you know, you've seen quite a big repricing taking place in the growth space. What's interesting, though, is that it's oftentimes exactly moments like this where, you know, if you are a contrarian type investors, when you should be taking a closer look at these types of things. And we've seen it in many, you know, many instances where, yes, the growth rates of the stocks have slowed from COVID levels, but they haven't gone negative. You know, they've actually stayed positive and they've stayed sort of high positive 20 30 40 50 percent growth rates are still being maintained in in most of the stocks that that we're investing but yet you know the share prices have fallen and they've fallen you know in some cases as much as 50 or even 60 percent from peak valuations now you know one looks at something like the nasdaq and and the s&p 500 and you say yes but i mean you know the market hasn't fallen by that much you know, what are you, what are you talking about? You know, my portfolio of growth stocks has done considerably worse than the averages. And that's because, I mean, you have these really big mega cap companies, you know, that support the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ, and they haven't fallen nearly as much. Um, you know, the top 10 stocks in the NASDAQ account for over 50% of the market cap of the NASDAQ. Um, but underneath that, there's been a really, really big bear market that has taken place amongst growth stocks and growth investors. So, yes. Sounds pretty horrific and it sounds quite horrible, but at the end of the day, this is, you know, very often the best time to be investing in, in companies when you, when you see these kind of markdowns. And when the sell-off is so broad, what often happens is the baby does get thrown out of the bathwater. So yes, there are many stocks that deserve to come down considerably, but there were also many others that didn't, but did, you know, and, um, and that's to your point, Ghost, where, you know, where you say, well, you know, that's when it's time to be a bit nimble, a bit specific. You know, you sharpen your pencil on a couple of things that you've been watching for a while and looking for, you know, entry points or opportunities to add. And then, you know, you use these opportunities to do that. So going into the sell-off, we had about 20% cash in the portfolio. So it was the maximum allowable, you know, waiting to cash we could have in our unit trust. And as the, you know, the markets have fallen, we've slowly started deploying that cash. So, you know, we are making use of this as, as best we can. Yeah, Craig, I mean, this is really the time when the magic shines through. I don't want to use the word magic because this is magic markets, right? This is when the skill gets added. This is when you search through those weeds and you find the real gems. So why don't we, just for the benefit of our, our listeners, let's use a case study. Let's pick one of the stocks that in your portfolio stand out for you. That's been really exciting. Uh, and I want to use this as a case study because, again, in Magic Markets Premium, what we do there is we, we generally unpack the stocks in a lot of detail. So we look at a stock relative to its competitors. We look at you know its valuations. Do the numbers stack up? And certainly with a lot of the stocks you're talking about right now, sometimes they're recently listed, so they don't have the same kind of history. Sometimes you have to go out there and do a lot more homework in terms of trying to inform a forward view of a stock because looking at historical 
ratios, for example, historical PE, historical price to book, that's not quite going to cut it on a business that's at its early stage of really growing. Uh, And so maybe you can give us a concrete example of how you look at a specific stock, uh, something that stands out for you maybe over the last quarter or so. Well, you know, one that immediately comes to mind is a stock we've recently added to a couple of weeks ago and it is a position in the in the portfolio and we sort of used the the sell down to beef it up a little bit um, and that's a company called CrowdStrike. CrowdStrike is in the cyber security space so it's obviously quite a relevant play I think in any event you know with the world that's becoming more and more you know technology orientated cyber security becomes important. So back in the day you know if you looked at cyber security you know, before the things of the cloud and the internet of things, what would that mean? You know, if you if you worked at a corporate, that would mean that they would put a, a wall, you know, so to speak, around the say the the corporate server. You know, if you had your PC at home, you might download some antivirus software, and um, you know that would generally be good enough, and, and that would be you know good enough to keep and manage your your hardware in a in a safe and proper way. But Fast forward to today, you know, now we have the cloud, now we have the internet of things, it enables people to work from anywhere. What happens is everywhere you go, you know, you're logging into a different Wi-Fi network and, you know, those Wi-Fi networks are outside of what you would call closed networks, like your corporate network if you work for a big corporate or even the network that you that you would use when you're at home. How many times have you taken your mobile device, your, your, your cell phone? And you've gone somewhere and you've logged into the Wi-Fi. You know, whether you go to a mall or you're traveling abroad or whatever the case is. Every time you do that, you expose your your device to an open network. And that open network is ripe for attacks. Okay, and that, and that happens everywhere. So this is where CrowdStrike, you know, comes into play. And they really looked at a world where they said... You know, you're sitting in a place where, you know, people move around a lot. They spread their workload over multiple cloud platforms and on-premise servers and via several apps and several devices and several software programs. And, you know, there's just lots of connections happening in multiple times all over the show. And it's a little bit scary to think, you know, how exposed you might be. So what CrowdStark decided to do was really provide an all-encompassing protection to people with their devices or to their customers for their devices wherever they go. So it was co-founded in 2011 by its current CEO, George Kurtz. He really looked at cloud computing at the time and he said, you know, this is the way of the future. You know, people are going to be working all over the show, traveling all over the show, and the cloud is the is the next big thing, and we need security in the cloud. So they built what's called their Falcon platform, and that was built from the ground up for the cloud, you know, to leverage the cloud and protect really every endpoint, hopefully, you know, from the most sophisticated attacks out there. So the technology is quite amazing. I mean, how it works in practice is you have a small piece of software on your device and it's called an agent. And, you know, that software could be on your laptop, it could be on your mobile phone, it could be on your cloud server, etc. And what this software does is it streams all the data that goes through the network that you're operating. And it puts it into what's called a threat graph that sits in the cloud. And this threat graph is powered by artificial intelligence. And how it works is it sifts through literally trillions of data points. And it really looks for different connections and different threats. And if it finds a connection or a threat, it immediately stamps that out. And then it simultaneously rolls out that security to the rest of its entire client base. So that's an incredible 
an incredible business. If you think about, if you think about it as a flywheel, and the more customers it has on its network, you know, the more data it collects, and the more data it collects, the more threats it identifies, and the more threats it identifies, the more it squashes them, right? And the more it sends those um, those patches out to all their clients. So it becomes like a self entrenched um, network effect. So the interesting thing about that is it's creating a moat, right? I mean, the more people that use it, the more people that want to use it, the more people that get protected by it. And in itself, what that does is it does make it a little bit more difficult for any competitor to come into the door and to start gaining traction. I want to actually just touch on something very important, which is you're outlining the picture of a fantastic business. But something that we often grapple with a little bit on the show is there's a distinction between a great business and the price that you pay for that business. Now, you can't value these stocks the same way you value an old school value stock. How do you contextualize whether you're paying the right price for a business like CrowdStrike? I mean, it sounds like a fantastic business. We've discussed flywheel. We've discussed the growth outlook. But what's the right price on a stock like this? Well, you know, that's when one's got to look at your your model of investing and your, you know, your various checkboxes that you look at when you put a company into your portfolio. And for us, there's a few that we look at and, you know, we've, we've mentioned them in, in previous um, discussions. You're obviously looking for a company that has a large total addressable market and that market needs to be growing. You also want optionality in the business and their products. So, you know, CrowdStrike, for example, you know, if you look at the, the core of their business when they first started, that part of the industry you refer to as workload security. Now, workload security has a total addressable market of $15 billion. Um, the benefit of the CrowdStrike business is they're collecting an enormous amount of data all the time, and that data is identifying new threats, new risks, um, perhaps new opportunities outside of cybersecurity per se, and each opportunity or risk that or threat that they identify, you know, sows the seeds for another product, right? And by virtue of that, their product has now grown. And those 22 modules that they have now encapsulate a total addressable market of $55 billion. And then one looks forward at, you know, all the, the sort of pipeline stuff they have and, and the, the data they're collecting now. And they're saying, well, you know, if we look further out, the, the total addressable market is expected to be you know, around about 116 to $120 billion going forward. Now, CrowdStrike's turnover at the end of last year was $1.4 billion. So, you know, if one looks at, at that and, and extrapolates forward, you know, into a $120 billion total addressable market, you say, you know, well, what is a reasonable market share? Let's start there, you know, with, with for a business like this. And perhaps you can say, well, maybe, you know, 10 or 11% is a is a good market share. It doesn't make you the the only dog in town, um, but it gives you a decent a decent sized portion of that market. And you say, okay, that's fine. You know, then you look at say, you know, growth expectations over the next ten years. Now, to to grow to a ten or eleven percent market share over ten years, you know, the company would probably have to grow at about twenty five percent per annum. Now, that ironically is a deceleration and a pretty considerable deceleration from where they're growing now i mean sort of last quarter earnings came out i mean their, their growth was over 60 percent you know so to put this into context you're expecting now growth to moderate over time as they scale up as the market matures and um and you say okay sure you know so if, if we 
forecast 25% per annum for the next 10 years, which is a deceleration of growth. And then you look at a price to sales of, say, 10. You know, now it's trading at the moment on a price to sales historic of 33, forward of 22. Um, and you say, well, okay, well, 10 is a, a fine number. You know, where do you suck that out from? <laughs> well, well, you know, if you look at some of the some of the peers, and, you know, it's hard to look for peers in the direct space, but just bigger companies that have been around for a long time that have grown at similar growth rates, you know, what sort of price-to-sales ratios are they trading at? You know, and if you look at something like Microsoft, it's, say, 12. You know, if you look at something like Adobe, it's 13. Um, you know, ServiceNow is almost 18. Um, two of the peers are Palo Alto Networks and Fortinet, and they are trading at 12 and 16. You know, so... 10 is a reasonable kind of number. You know, it's a, it would be pretty much lower than those averages. And a 10 times price to sales, you know, we'd put it at, say, 600 rand a share in 10 years' time. Now, at the moment, it's trading at about 212 or, or whatever the case may be. So, you know, if that is right, you know, you're going to see a return of 180% from here over the next 10 years, which is, call it 18, 19% per annum. You know, if they grow faster than that, there's obviously upside to that. If they grow lower than that, there's downside to that. You know, the total addressable market could be a lot bigger or a lot smaller. You know, so there's a whole lot of things, you know, that one needs to consider and think about. Um, which is why it's so important to be invested in companies that are not only good solid businesses, but can also grow their total addressable market by creating different opportunities and different markets for themselves. And CrowdStrike certainly ticks that sort of box. So, I mean, yes, there's a lot of extrapolation one has to put, particularly with new companies, you know, as you rightly said, Moan, you know, when they come to the market. But um, as long as your your expectations, I think, are reasonable and not outlandish, I mean, if I had to say to you, you know, the company could grow at 50% per annum for the next 10 years, that's still slower than what they're currently growing at. But you might raise your eyebrow and be like, well, I mean, that's that's a pretty hefty growth rate, right? And I'd, and I'd agree. You know, so, um, you know, the general forecast, although is higher than 25%, you know, but if but if we put 25% to a model, you know, you can get 600 bucks a share 10 years out, which is a, a great return from here. Um, obviously, if you go a little bit more aggressive and you said, well, the price to sales of 12 is maybe more accurate, which is probably the average of those other companies I alluded to earlier. I mean, that gets you to over $700 a share you know, which is in a 23, 24% return per annum over the next 10 years. Now, it's important to realize that this doesn't happen in a straight line, right? I mean, you've seen a massive drawdown in CrowdStrike. It's down 30% from its high today as we speak. Um, that's also not totally uncommon in this space. I mean, the big behemoths of the day, Amazon, Netflix, Facebook now, Meta, Google, I mean, they've all had pretty big falls over their life cycles as they've scaled up. Um, but the important thing, I think, to realize with businesses like this is they have incredible margins, right? I mean, CrowdStrike subscription margin at the moment is over 70%. I mean, they have free cash flow generation, which is considerable. I mean, I think the free cash flow margin is 30% of revenue. They have no debt. You know, the balance sheet is strong. It's got $2 billion on the balance sheet. And, um, you know, this is a company that's in good financial shape in terms of its balance sheet etc it's not going to be suffering from high interest rates because there's no interest to pay um you know inflation might affect the valuation in the short term as people look at the current value of their of their dollar but you know if you can sustain 25 percent growth per annum or somewhere around there for you know the foreseeable future 
I think, you know, inflation, when eventually does turn the corner and start coming down, you know, you'll see a big switch back into these sorts of companies as people try to, to get exposure to, you know, the, the, the stocks that are providing growth, which is far superior, I think, to, you know, what you can get in the global economy. Yeah, it's super interesting, Craig. And I think what I love about the world of investing is if you listen to a, a diet-in-the-world growth investor talk, it's very much flywheels, network effects, total addressable market. And that's right. I mean, that's exactly what it is. It takes it needed a visionary, you know, 10, 11 years ago to spot the cloud computing trend and figure out what a product might need to look like a decade in advance for that to work. I mean, that's amazing stuff. You know, value investing is very different. It's very focused on net asset value and high dividend yields and, you know, the resilience of those cash flows because you're looking to get your money back in two, three years and then whatever's left is left, you know. There's no right or wrong here. These are just two different approaches to investing. And often it's actually right or wrong based on a cycle. And that's one of the points I wanted to finish off with is to say, you know, for any of our listeners, you should have some kind of capital allocation strategy in your portfolio. And that might include, you know, some stuff sitting in value style stocks or high dividend players, some sitting in your sort of quality growth, if I can call it that, which is your typical fan style stocks. And then some stuff sitting in this sort of highly innovative, really exciting, but super volatile stuff, Craig, which is, you know, a lot of what you play. I mean, I own Unicorn myself. I've got a portion of my portfolio in that because it's something that I want exposure to. And as the manager of that, you need to only play in that world because that's ultimately your mandate. It would be super weird if you suddenly started buying mining stocks, you know, and I've uh, given you my money on the assumption that you're going to be buying really cool, innovative tech companies. So I think that's what listeners need to just keep in mind is, you know, what you do is part of a puzzle. And that puzzle is a wealth creation journey. And you do that part very, very well. And even when the market looks a bit tough, you know, that part will have its day in the sun again. And it's about consistency and looking for the right stuff, buying it at the right price, and just believing in what the next 10 years is going to look like. That's really what it comes down to. Yes, I mean, and I can't overemphasize that, you know, your time horizon is is very important, you know, when you're investing in, in any type of investment. Um, you know, before you buy anything, whether it be growth or value or whatever the case is, you know, you have to ask yourself a few important questions. And and, the, and those are obviously, you know, how long am I invested for? You know, how, you know, how do I stomach volatility? You know, all these sorts of things are really big determining factors in how you should allocate your, you know, your, your hard-earned savings and your cash. And it, the answer is different for everyone, you know. I think this portfolio fits into the growth bucket of your investment profile, you know, so however a person wants to allocate their savings, you know, keep the, the growth hat on with, with this. And I think it's important that, yes, you know, one's got to have a long-term view because, you know, markets are very unpredictable. The world is a complicated place. You know, things always happen when you least expect them. And, you know, the best way to benefit from any sort of investment style or strategy is just to be in it for a long time at the end of the day, you know, and that's when you'll see the true benefit. Craig, I think I think the insights you've provided have been phenomenal. I think, you know, unfortunately, we, we are out of time. Uh, and it's, it's why we love having you back on the show is, you know, each time we get to unpack just another piece of the puzzle. Uh, and we learn and we hope our listeners learn as we go along the, uh, with us. So you know, I think we've, we've done two things on the show. We've kind of congratulated you for the great performance. Well done on growing your business. Uh, but then also, Thank you for sharing your views on how we can view disruptive companies, growth companies uh, in a broader portfolio management, in a broader valuation framework. I think that's been very valuable for me personally. 
Yeah, Craig, just to echo that, thank you. I always enjoy listening to you talk about valuing growth stocks, how the multiple unwinds. It's, it really is interesting stuff. How do people find you if they're interested in the fund, if they want to ask you questions or find out a bit more? What is the easiest way? Sure. Well, I mean, I'd firstly say thanks, guys, for, for having me again. It's always wonderful to be here, and I, you know, I love the conversation and the interaction, and we all learn together, which is you know what we're ultimately after. Um, for anyone that's interested, I mean, they can have a peep at the at the website, which is dedicated to this portfolio. It's www.investingunicorns.com. And, you know, there's steps on that website that can, you know, take you through how you get access to the portfolio, either via the JSE or via the unit trust, if that's what interests you. And, I mean, if you do want to, you know, reach out and ask any questions, I mean, you know, there's contact details on that website as well. So, you know, feel free to, to come and say hello and, and ask anything you like and we'll do our best to, to help you. Awesome. Thank you. We look forward to having you back next month, Craig. And uh, good luck in the markets for the next month. Hopefully they start to treat you a bit better. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. This podcast is brought to you by Anbro Capital Investments. Invest in the future. Invest in growth. Visit investingunicorns.com to learn more. The unicorn portfolio is managed by Anbro Capital Investments, an authorized financial services provider. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor. Financial advisor.